Welcome. It is so good to be with you uh, today, this morning, whenever you're watching this. Um, this is the worship, su- worship service for the third Sunday of Easter uh, for Cordova Church of the Nazarene. My name's Pastor Jeff, um, and if you've never worshiped with us in person before, I really hope that you would find a way to reach out. We're going to have a link in this video uh, this first video to to a way for you to connect with us, a connection card, um, and and I hope that you'll just find a way to reach out, uh, put yourself out there, and and we'd love to try to connect with you during this strange time when we're also disconnected. Uh, so welcome to worship. We are going to hear our call to worship, our opening psalm this morning. I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. Blessed be the reading of the word. Thanks be to God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I'll worship your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day, it's Thousand reasons for my 
to be here today. We are going to hear our Old Testament reading, which if you've been paying close attention the past couple weeks, actually come out of the New Testament. Um, the reason for that is that this time of Easter is the time of the people, the, the sort of history of the people of God, and we're telling that story. Acts is that sort of history book in the New Testament. And so in some ways, it's an extension. It's a continuation of the Old Testament, that story of God's people into uh, the story that continues is caught up in Jesus Christ. So we're going to hear our reading from Acts chapter 2, verse 14a, um, and then following on down later in the chapter. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Let the, all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received with food, food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. I'm reading from 1 Peter 17 through 23. Call him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Conduct themselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed for the futile ways inherited from our, your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without a blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. This was the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Head and continue in worship this morning. We wanted to let you know um, that if you are interested in giving, we have four ways to do that. You're free to, to mail your check-in, to bring it in personally um, while keeping all the sort of necessary distances. Um, but we also want you to know uh, that, that we have a giving app called Tithely. Um, I know we have several people here in our church who give through that, and it's a wonderful way to be able to continue to support the mission and ministry. Um, and, and then also there's an online giving portal on our church website. So you're welcome to do any and or all of those things. Um, we want to continue to make those things available to you. Let's continue in worship this morning. the mountains tremble? Did you hear the oceans roar? When the people rose to sing of Jesus Christ the
continue to lift up and pray for the church which we love, those that you have called into this new creation, this new order, this era, Lord, that's already being made in your Son, even amidst this present, old, and passing age. We want to continue to lift up, Lord, those that you have called to be saints, those that you have called to be teachers, prophets, apostles, pastors. We want to, Lord, continue to lift up those in all the other parts of the globe that will be gathering here to worship with one heart and one mind and one faith and one baptism. Give you thanks, Lord, for the way that your church has gathered throughout the centuries, facing so many different obstacles and trials and facing suffering, and yet been able to give and receive freely, to share generously, Lord, compassionately, always looking after each other, knowing that in this new era, this new dawning, your abundant grace and your love can never run short. Lord, we want to continue to lift up this nation, these communities that we find ourselves a part of, which we're thankful that you have established to place us and to put us into, Lord, and particularly over the course of this next week, as many of our leaders face decisions about um, what will transpire and take place here in these coming weeks, in these coming months. We just want to ask for um, you to pour out your spirit of grace, of righteousness, of understanding of truth upon President Trump and Vice President Pence and Governor Newsom, our um, 
County Supervisor Representative Donna Tolley just asking, Lord, that in their judiciousness and wisdom, they might, listening to you, discern what is best for the communities, for the authority, for the jurisdictions over which they um, exercise authority. Lord, we want to pray for um, just the, the world that you have made, all the peoples, the tribes, languages, and maybe especially in this time as, as we consider what it means to be infected by disease, by COVID-19, um, all those who have been affected over the course of the world, asking and interceding, Lord, that they might be healed and for um, those other, other things that continue to infect and run rampant in the world, Lord, for those suffering from HIV and from cholera and from malaria and from dengue fever, um, just asking that you might continue to pour out and bestow your blessing, your health, your salvation to those families as well, allowing, Lord, um, the gifts and the graces that you have given through medical facilities, um, through the means of availing doctors and nurses and those that have been trained in the healing arts to do justice and work, and Lord, that your love might be poured out through your church in ways to also bring healing to those affected by all those diseases and by others. Lord, we want to continue to lift up um, just those in this area and this region, um, both the medical workers in this area, our grocery workers, those who have been deemed part of the essential services that have continued to work despite um, any kinds of uh, risks that they might be taking, just would you continue to establish them in their work, Lord, allow them to do efficiently and effectively all the things that you have appointed to them for local business owners that are considering, Lord, how to go forward here um, in Sacramento, in Rancho Cordova, in Rosemont, um, just with the ways that their businesses have been affected um, by this whole procedure. Might you continue to grant them wisdom and ways, Lord, to continue to keep their doors open and the books running um, find ways to navigate through the challenges and use the resources that have been offered. Lord, we want to pray for um, just all those in our communities, in our homes, and our families um, that are facing grave illnesses. Um, for those uh, like uh, Gail Hammonds, is she continues to face pain in her knees, and uh, just asking, Lord, that you might grant her relief, comfort, um, and endurance. As she um, seeks to be able to um, do the work that you have called her to do at, at Walmart, and also um, unable to receive the kind of treatments that would alleviate the pain that she receives, or facing all those that are gravely ill through cancer, thinking of Yvonne, uh, Mindy's daughter's uh, cheerleading coach. Just thankful, Lord, for the ways that communities have rallied together to do these drive-by parades and find ways to inspire and encourage one another. We're continuing to pray for Liz Francisco and all those that find themselves in these places of um, extended or... Um, deep in care, in hospitals, in nursing facilities, uh, just asking that you'd um, preserve and protect them, Lord, but then allow their witness to be on display with all those that they interact with on a daily basis and allow them to know that they are loved and established by your church. For all those that continue to care for, care for and support them in ways that we ourselves might be unable, 
um, and just being able to celebrate you, the God who is at the heart of these things, proclaiming the message of your Son, Jesus Christ. Um, we want to continue, Lord, to lift up all the faithful departed, all those, Lord, that have gone to be with you, who have won the crown of life in this, maybe especially Joe Bowers, who um, in his life was able to um, proclaim and testify even in the midst of suffering and of death. Your son who is raised over all those things, might we now, Lord, be able to walk in the legacy that he has given us. And might you grant to his family as they grieve in the midst of this loss that comfort which you can provide and have provided to us as we have been bereaved of our own losses here in this congregation and continue, Lord, to face. Might we be able to walk in those ways. And might you, Lord, continue to establish us through your Son we know is now raised from the dead and ascended to be with you as one God forever and ever through your Spirit. Pray all these things in his name. I am reading Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, and about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But he had hoped that, he, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came, came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly and saying, stay with us for it is towards evening and the day is not far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. So they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn with us while we talked 
while he talked to us on the road, while he opened us, opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, those who were with them, gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in breaking up the bread. This is the word of the Lord. I, I guess I always assume that people in Scripture are going to do the right thing. Um, I know that's not true, uh, but you're always sort of watching their actions carefully. And, and when you look really carefully at uh, these two disciples as they're on their way out of Jerusalem, what we discover is they're not actually doing the brave or the bold thing or the heroic thing at all. They're, they're running away. They are afraid and uncertain. Um, they're leaving the main city of Jerusalem for a town named Emmaus, seven-ish miles away. Um, and, and the reason they're doing it, for two reasons, the one is the Jews and the second is the news. And um, the, the first, the Jews, the rulers, the leaders of the Jews in Jerusalem uh, were after the people of, of Christ. They were after the disciples, after Jesus' people. They had sort of stamped out this insurrection uh, that had taken place, that had been following Jesus. And now there's this movement after they've taken out the leader, now we're going to go get the followers. And so in order to not get got, these leader, these two disciples are headed out, um, out of town. They're getting out of Dodge. The second funny thing that's strange about their flight is that, you know, Jesus is, is killed on a Friday. He's crucified on a Friday. And then Saturday, the Sabbath, um, everybody rests. Everything stops. You're not to be walking or moving or leaving town or any of that. You're also not to be pursuing um, you know, heretics. And so everything sort of is calm for a day. And then it's as soon as we see all of this happen on, on Sunday that you see the activity begin to pick up again. The women go to the tomb. These disciples are leaving town. Everybody's actually sort of scattering and doing what they wish they could have done on Saturday. And so the women, as they come back, they talk to the disciples because they go so early in the morning. And what they tell them is that, hey, we actually encountered the risen Christ. But these disciples, Cleopas and his, his friend as they go, we only know one of their names. They're, the funny thing about their story as they talk to Jesus is that it's as though they don't want to believe the women. Because in the ancient world and in Israel and in the Roman Empire, the word of a woman really was not worth all that much. And so they, they just sort of take that news and they nod. They say, that's nice, but I'm not going to get killed because of the testimony of some woman. And so then off they go. But the truth is, is that Jesus has entrusted, God has entrusted the news of the resurrection first to these women. They should have believed him. And so Jesus meets these disciples, and as he talks to them, he shows them from the scriptures after they say, aren't you the one who, are you the only person in all of Jerusalem who doesn't know what happened with our leader Jesus, right? It's the big news headline of the day. It's in all the tabloids, it's all the papers, everything. And Jesus shows them, it says, demonstrates why it was necessary, necessary, from the scriptures. He goes to places like Deuteronomy 18 and Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 and, and walks these two disciples through a fuller, complete understanding of the, New of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew Bible, disclosing to them why the Messiah had to suffer to save and redeem 
his people from sin. And so he demonstrates the true nature of the Messiah, where they had assumed one thing about the Messiah, that he was here to free them from some other kind of oppression. He demonstrates to them why suffering was actually a necessary part of the Messiah, the Messiah's identity. But then beyond that, he, he not only does that, he, he goes into, rather than, um, I mean, and this is, this is sort of our tendency, right? We, we wake up, and what's the first thing you open? Is it the news? Is it, do you, do you open up your email, open up whatever social media, you, you know, you, you open up those news apps, and you want to find out what has happened during the day. We're out here on the West Coast, so by the time we get up, like, the East Coast is already going. There's already news stories pumping out, and, and what's the first thing that you cast your eyes on? Is it the news or is it the scriptures? Because Jesus here uses the scriptures as, as the barometer, as the means, as, as the thing that he uses to shape his perception and understanding of the world, rather than using the headlines which come and go. But not only does he demonstrate the true nature of the Messiah through the scriptures, he then reveals his personal presence to those disciples through the breaking of bread. So he demonstrates and then reveals personal presence. In the scriptures, uh, which we know are a witness, they're a story, they are the record of God's interaction with humanity. God's connection and, and interaction with all of creation and and, and that humanity, that creation, especially as we see it and as we know it in the people of Israel, especially as we come to encounter it in the family that comes out of Abraham, who responded faithfully to God's promises. And so we then get in, in 1 Peter, we see this, this sort of um, this push and pull between these two people, between the Gentiles and between the people of God, Israel. Peter tells the people that he wrote to in that first Peter passage, because Luke is telling the story of Jesus, Peter is walking out the life of Jesus and how you live as the people of God in a difficult world. And he is writing to churches that are undergoing persecution and trial and tribulation. So part of what he tells them, these are Gentile churches. They're not churches that are full of Jews. They're actually churches that are full of Gentiles, people who are outside of that initial family of God. And what he tells them is that your forefathers tried to trust in dead things, gold and silver. They tried to trust in those things which had no life in and of themselves. But they were just inanimate objects and they put all of their hope, all of their love, all of their worship into that dead idol. And out of that dead idol there was no real life. Because idolatry and the false things that we worship cannot keep back death, which is coming for all of us. It cannot keep back death. We've got all kinds of idolatries that we deal with in our world. For a lot of people, it's still that kind of idolatry of silver and gold, except most of us aren't actually literally bowing down to statues or, or idols, but it's an idolatry of the economy, that sort of movement of silver and gold. And are we going to continue to grow and increase? And the temptation in this time is 
real deeply to just kind of say the economy is what matters most. That we can't have a world that doesn't have an economy that's going gangbusters, that's growing 2 or 3% a year, that if we lose that growth, then what are we even? And part of what First Peter, I think, would say to us is, look, the economy does not hold back death. The continual growth of the markets won't hold back death. It's still going to come for you. But by the same token, a lot of us have kind of built these worlds, these structures around us, and they're structures that oftentimes we like to call community. Where it's a nice neighbor, or it's our connection with our close friends, or I mean, whatever it is, but we build this sort of life as though having a good life here is somehow going to keep back death. And those kind of personal quality of life idols will not keep back death either. No. The only thing that keeps back death is what Peter says in verse 19. The precious blood of Christ. The only thing that, that keeps back and transforms death. In fact, it doesn't even keep it back. It just absorbs it and makes it into life, which this is this remarkable thing. But it's the precious blood of Christ. We know this in the church. We know this through this thing that we confess in the Apostles' Creed, the communion of saints. And that's the amazing thing is that we're not only looking to our day to try to sort out how to live here. We have this long history and I could go on a long rabbit trail. I've got like 20 stories I want to tell you, but I'm going to hold to one. It's the story of Sarah Peters, a Methodist in the 1700s. And she did what, what so many Methodists used to do, what John and Charles Wesley themselves used to do, this revival movement in the Church of England that the Church of the Nazarene ultimately comes out of. This is our heritage. And Sarah Peters was this this Methodist that John writes about. And she was well known for going to the prisons. She would go to the jails, and those were, I mean, they're nasty places now. They were really nasty in the 18th century. She would go to these prisons, and especially to those who were on death row, who were about to be executed. She would pray with them, minister to them, find ways to demonstrate, develop God's faith in them, even in these last moments of their life. One day she brought a friend named Silas who they go into the, uh, that's funny, I just thought of the, the original Silas is in prison with Paul and then uh, we've got this Silas and who's going there with Sarah Peters. Uh, they're kind of there in that prison together and she's ministering to somebody who they find out is an ex-Methodist. He used to be a Methodist and then he gets off track and he spends his life doing other things and he gets caught for burglary. Because things were harsher, he'd find himself on death row. But it would have been so easy for Sarah to not go that day, for Silas to kind of stay home. There was a, there was a fever and a distemper, they called it. There was a plague in that prison. But Sarah refused to let that keep her from ministering to this prisoner, and they stay up with him, and they pray with him, and they sing with him, they read scriptures, and actually... Prisoners actually begin to gather around them. So that before long, there's seven or eight of them together. And then those 
those seven or eight are, are worshiping and this revival breaks out in the prison and there's an all-night prayer and praise meeting as they worship God, even as they're coming there to the ends of their lives. That's our heritage. That's who we are. We are a people who do what is best, who do what is right, who proclaim the gospel despite ourselves, despite our own need for safety. And in our world, there are these, these idols. On the one side, we have those who would say that, you know, that who cares? I, I'm going to go out and live my life, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and I'm not going to restrict myself because is life really worth living if I have to limit myself? Is life really worth living if the economy isn't going the way that it should? And I just got to say, that's, that pain is real, right? Like people are losing Jobs, businesses are closing, communities are suffering, things are hurting, and that's, that's a very real pain. But we also know that that pain does not determine us. We don't have to be living in a growing economy, serving gods of silver and gold, in order to be living the fullest life that God has given us. We know that we have a life that is beyond our success in this one, our comfort in this one. At the same time, it would be so easy right now to get caught up in this total and utter abject fear where we avoid all things. Our, our, our isolation is not about keeping our neighbors safe, which, let me remind you, that's the point of this isolation, is to keep our neighbors safe. But instead, we begin to isolate because we're afraid of our neighbors, and we find in every face, in every breath, in every hand, just disease and terror and plague and pestilence. Everybody becomes a threat. And in that, in that case, we sort of begin to idolize the preservation of our life as though we forget that we are a people of the resurrection. As though we forget that our purpose is actually about the betterment of our neighbor. The community of saints, this long and bold and beautiful heritage in which we stand as the church is a, is a community that says no to both of those poles. We say no to both of those extremes. We say no to the defiance of authority because it somehow is going to limit my own life, and we say no to this fear of death because we know that we have a life that is beyond this one. So in both those cases, we refuse to compromise the life that is to come for the life that we find ourselves in. Cleopas and his, the other disciple, they get to Emmaus and of course we see this wonderful moment where Jesus is there at the table and even though he's a guest, even though he's not the host, he takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it. And it's so wonderful because here are these two, these two disciples who are not a part of the 12 apostles, remember, they were not there at the Last Supper and yet here, only days later, Jesus is doing the same thing. Those four words are very key. Take, bless, break, and give. And they see in those actions Jesus himself. The Christ, the Messiah, the one who himself was taken 
blessed is broken on the cross and given to the world. Cleopas and his friend, they leave that house in Emmaus. They rush back to the apostles, the disciples there in Jerusalem. They say, we've got great news. And what is their news? That Jesus is alive. That he's not still in that tomb. That our Lord got up from death. It's proclamation over consolation and preservation. Proclamation of the gospel. Proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Proclamation of what has happened on the cross and in the empty tomb. Over our own consolation or need for safety. They leave this town of Emmaus. Remember, they go into that town not because they live there, but because it's nighttime and it's going to get dangerous on the road, right? So they leave. They still are on that dangerous road as they go back to Jerusalem. They throw their own safety to the side. And yet they're also not concerned about preserving their own life because they know that the news that they have is better. Speaking of this life that is to come. I'm wrestling with this. I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking these days about how we can best be the church in times of persecution trial or tribulation. And we ought to know as we read 1 Peter, the whole point of that book of 1 Peter is that these times, these difficulties, they're not to be run from, but rather they are actually to be embraced as an opportunity to demonstrate Christ's sacrificial love. As an opportunity for us to say, not foolhardily, not rushing in like dummies, but to say, look, we are not afraid. Like Sarah Peters, we, we are not afraid of this fever, this distemper that takes over the culture around us. Because the thing is, Sarah Peters, only about a week and a half later, after that revival in the, in the jail cells, she died. She died of the same fever that she no doubt caught that night. And yet John Wesley does not tell her story in mourning, and he doesn't tell it as this cautionary tale of what not to do. In fact, he tells her story as this sort of celebratory example of what the life of the Spirit unleashed in the people of God can do for, through, and in us. So my question is, Will you lean in like that? Will you lean in like Sarah Peters? Will you lean in like Father Damien? Will you lean in like the martyrs of those first centuries and grab a hold of, of the scriptures, grab a hold of the breaking of bread in which the Christ is demonstrated, the Messiah is shown, and, and also in which he is revealed to be personally present? Would you lean in like those Christians in East Africa who are being martyred right now? And not just sick, but being killed for their belief in the gospel. And say, there is no life that is outside of your life, Jesus. Take those gifts of God that we have in the Old and New Testament. Take the revelation of God in the breaking of bread. Take it seriously. Now, I know that we are separated from one another and not able 
to actually experience the table. But I want to encourage you that, that even though that's the case, that you still stick with us. Watch this, this next video in this playlist. It's only like five minutes long. And guess what? There's another song. Do what you can to, to actually sit in this moment. Find a quiet space in your house and pray. Pray the prayer for spiritual communion. It says, Lord, I can't take you right now, but I want to be with you. I want to unite myself, body and soul, to you. I believe with all that I am that God honors that prayer and that desire. But also, maybe you have faith this morning and you know somebody close to you who doesn't. Or you can imagine somebody who doesn't have faith and is, is struggling right now. And maybe you can't visit them physically. Maybe you can. Maybe it's the person in your house, but would you pray for them? Pray today over these next five, ten minutes. Be praying for those who cannot themselves have faith out because of their own fear, because of their own terror. Maybe they've just numbed themselves for so long that they have no ability to pray. Would you be the one who intercedes for them? Who lifts them up in this difficult time? Who says, Lord, would you breathe your faith, breathe your hope, breathe your love into their life? Would you be the part of the body? ministers to Christ's other sheep, whether that's somebody totally outside of the faith or somebody inside the faith who's struggling. Lean in today. Would you pray with me? O oh God, the protector of all that trust in you, without whom nothing is strong, nothing is holy, increase and multiply upon us your mercy that you, being our ruler and guide, we may so pass through things temporal that we finally lose not the things eternal. Grant this, O Heavenly Father, for Jesus Christ's sake, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Would you pray this prayer of blessing and of grace for the church and for the world with me? The communion supper instituted by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ is a sacrament which proclaims his life, his sufferings, his sacrificial death and his resurrection, and the hope of his coming again. It shows forth the Lord's death until he returns. The supper is a means of grace in which Christ is made present by the Spirit. It is to be received in reverent appreciation and gratefulness for the work of Christ. But all those who are truly repentant forsaking their sins and believing in Christ for salvation, be invited to participate in the death and the resurrection of Christ. Come to the table that we might be renewed in life and salvation and be made one by the Spirit. Shall we pray together? Holy God, we gather at this your table in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who by your Spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, Set at liberty those who are oppressed. Christ healed the sick, he fed the hungry, he ate with sinners, he established the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. We live in the hope of his coming again. On the night that he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took the bread. And after he had given thanks to you, 
broken. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup. And after he had given thanks to you, he gave it to all of his disciples, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. So we gather as the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving. Pour out your spirit upon us and upon these your gifts. Make them by the power of your spirit to be for us the body and the blood of Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them with thanksgiving. This is the body and blood of our Lord, which has been shed and given for us to keep us in everlasting I see. 
Thank you so much for being with us today. We are hopeful that these, um, these worship services, even though not ideal, continue to be important for your growth, uh, for our growth, and, and ultimately they're about us coming faithfully to the, to the table because, um, and, and to, the, to the scriptures, to the word of God, um, so that we might, we might truly worship. Um, we believe that this is what we're for. It's what we're made for. It's what we're built for. Um, and unless we are worshiping, we're not really who we're made to be. So my prayer and my hope today is that you will go forward in the blessing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bless you, who will keep you, who will make his face to shine upon you, so that in this world, people might know and see that it's the communion of saints that preserves the gifts through which God pours out his life into this world. We pray that you would find ways to share and shower this world with those gifts this week. Go in peace.